There's only so many calls we can attend. Vaccine passport enforcement by police will require more resources, says the RCMP union. The concerns about being stretched too thin. Plus, bringing the vaccines to the people to where they're at now is a strategy we need to, to work, work with. Don't come to us, we'll come to you. The dominant strategy is the Vancouver Convention Center mass vaccination clinic closes. And that's a very emotional thing for people to find. Finding family heirlooms, the volunteer-led team, including military veterans, sifting through the ashes in Lytton. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Police officers are speaking out over the expectation they'll have police. They'll have to police, rather, the incoming vaccine passport mandate in B.C. The premier has said he expects law enforcement to step in if there are issues enforcing the rules. But as Julia Foy reports, the unions representing officers say their members are already overstretched. It was a shocking sight Friday when an angry anti-vaccine passport mob waited at a Southern Ontario campaign stop. It was deemed too dangerous for the Prime Minister to attend. This is something that Canadians, all of us, need to reflect on. Because it's, it's not who we are. It's not who we want to be as a country. With just over two weeks until BC rolls out its own vaccine passport, the Premier was asked about how businesses should respond to those who refuse to comply. With respect to enforcement, it's not unlike uh, with respect to uh, nightclubs or the hospitality sector. If they have difficulty with patrons, uh, they call law enforcement. And that's uh, what I would expect would happen with respect to the vaccination card as well. That message is raising some concerns for police organizations. Our concerns are, are, uh, are very high about what this will look like for the members. And, and there's only so many calls we can attend. During the past 18 months, we've seen violence break out over masks. Will the passports bring more? We've seen videos of them online just with mask mandates. So, um, and that was before each place has to provide their, or each member, each person has to provide their personal vaccine history. There are also concerns about how much the public will expect the police to do. To conduct enforcement, um, you know, issuing tickets or whatever for not masking or unvaccinated in a public place would, total, would be totally inappropriate for the police to have to do that. The Vancouver Police Union warns that without an increase in resources, businesses may not get the fastest response. A call of this nature realistically would be much lower down on the scale of priorities and uh, the reality is it likely could be hours if not days before a member would be dispatched to attend a call like this. Police members are hoping that BC will not see the screaming protests that have dogged the federal election campaign. There is the potential, I think it will happen and we just hope that everybody just slows down, takes a breath. Julia Foy, Global News. We have now achieved a bit of a milestone in BC's vaccination plan. The site of the province's largest vaccine clinic is now closed. The last jab at the Vancouver Convention Centre was administered this afternoon. As Grace Key reports, it's an indication of just how our immunization rollout has now plateaued. They are some of the last people lining up to get vaccinated at the Vancouver Convention Centre. It was first set up as a mass clinic on March 29th. Five months later, it's now closing. 
I think it is a great milestone because what we wanted to do and what the province wanted to achieve with these mass these massive mass vaccination centers is just to get as many doses into as many people as possible. Some people we spoke with who were getting vaccinated on Sunday had mixed feelings about the shot. I was a bit hesitant to get it at first. I kind of just, you know, waited around and kind of thought about if I was going to or not, um, asked other people, but I decided just to get it because I do, you know, maybe have some like travel plans later, so. No, I'm not hesitant. I just, you know, I think it's a good way to protect myself and like other people. And I, I just don't see like, you know, the big like controversy over it. We recently uh, moved to Vancouver. So uh, we took the, I, I took the first dose in Brazil. The vaccination my, there is a the, bit delayed. So. In my age there. And when I come to here, I choose to take the second dose. Latest numbers show just under 84% of eligible people 12 and older in BC have received their first dose of COVID-19 vaccine, and nearly 76% have received their second dose. The province is now focusing on pop-up clinics bringing vaccine to the people. There are people for whom we need to make it easier for them to get their vaccines, and so that's why the smaller clinics at the at the PE, at the markets, that that's a better strategy. And I think that the closing of this convention center, massive vaccination site, speaks greatly to our immunization drive. After September 1st, the Italian Cultural Center in Vancouver, the ICBC Test Collection Site in North Vancouver, and the River Rock Theater in Richmond will still open as mass vaccination clinics. Your local health authority will also have a list of pop-up clinics. Grace Key, Global News. An independent report has found systemic racism at schools in Prince George's school district. The report comes from two special advisors appointed by the education minister in February. After conducting 56 interviews, they found Indigenous students are disproportionately held back, placed in alternative programs or classes, and removed from the traditional graduation path. It says there is a clear and palpable lack of trust between many Indigenous stakeholders, First Nations and the school district, as well as a substantial culture of fear about raising concerns. One Indigenous leader based in north-central B.C. says all school districts can learn from this report. With different school districts around the province, uh, some have better representation than others. Uh, in particular here, there isn't proper representation for uh, quite a high number of Indigenous learners in this school district. So that is needed. Uh, if there's one lesson that should be learned out of this situation, then it, it is more representation on board levels and higher levels of administration within school uh, districts. And moreover, and um, really, I think, within the ministry. A former school district superintendent will join the two special advisors to work with the school board to draft a plan to improve relationships with local First Nations, staffing and financial planning. The heart-wrenching and slow work has begun to sift through the burnt-out remains of homes in Lytton torched by the wildfire at the end of June. And a volunteer group is helping with that grueling task. Amadagahi has more. After burning to the ground, Lytton is a long way from rebuilding. On June 30th, wildfire tore through most of the area, and the village, to this day, is still not safe to access. But for 32 properties in the Lytton First Nation, the early process of recovery has begun. Because beneath the rubble, there is still treasure 
connecting families between generations. We found a, several urns of family remains, and of course that's really important. That, that, that's a very emotional thing for people to find. Uh, we found some jewelry. Uh, the other day, uh, one of our team members found uh, a ring that had been somebody's mother's that uh, hadn't been left behind, and that was uh, something they didn't think they'd ever see again. Rick Henderson and a team of volunteers belong to an organization called Team Rubicon. They have been asked to lend their expertise in safely sifting through the burned properties to rescue any remaining valuables. We, we've got a, a, basically a large screen. So it's placing that debris with a shovel onto the screen and uh, it's almost like panning for gold, if you would, and uh, shaking that screen and getting the, the material through and see if we can find things for people. 95% of the structures in the community have been destroyed. The people who live there, displaced, evacuees, scattered across the province for months now. The town's mayor says he still fields calls from former residents every day. It's hard on them. They're hurt. They're angry. Henderson says his team's work is sensitive. He hopes to help people see that they may not have lost everything in the disaster. We are here to help people uh, get their lives back together. Uh, help them uh, in that healing process, get through that grief. Adding that oftentimes someone doesn't see how valuable their belongings are to them until they are found again. Amadagahi, Global News. This destructive wildfire season has bears on the move as their home ranges burn. It's just one of the factors that's currently pushing bears into areas in the Okanagan where they're more likely to have contact with humans. Megan Turcato has more. Like many in this West Kelowna neighborhood, just a few kilometers from where the Mount Law wildfire is burning, Gary Wingarek and his pets have a story of a recent bear sighting. We had one about, uh, about six days ago up in the back of my property and uh, my dogs were going a little crazy and I shone a flashlight in there and I could see its eyes and heard it doing a little scratching on the trees. With the drought conditions, the fires happening, and then the seasonal, uh, the natural seasonal patterns with uh, bears increasing their foraging, we really have the perfect storm for human-wildlife conflicts in our Okanagan communities. Making it more important than ever to manage bear attractants to prevent human-wildlife conflict. Keep your garbage stored securely on non-collection days. If you have fruit trees, Please uh, pick your ripe fruit immediately. Keep ground fall um, clean, as well as um, take down bird feeders. Because if those unnatural food sources aren't kept away from bears, it can be dangerous for both bears and humans. If bears become food conditioned and habituated, they then pose a risk to public safety um, because they're uh, coming close to people, they're coming close to our homes. And um, in those situations, conservation officers have no choice but to destroy the bears. Being bear aware will continue to be important through the fall as the animals look for food sources to bulk up for winter. Megan Turcato, Global News, West Kelowna. More favorable weather conditions might be helping BC's wildfire fight, but many parts of the province are still experiencing extremely dry conditions, as seen in Nelson this weekend. 
Video posted by a Nelson City Councilor shows how quickly a grass fire grew on Saturday. On duty and two off-duty firefighters were called to a highway overpass below the Alpine Motel when the brush caught fire just before 5 p.m. Nelson Fire Rescue and Rescue says the flames quickly spread to the top of the slope, even though it originally started 50 meters below at the base of the slope. Crews managed to eventually put it out before the flames jumped to nearby homes and buildings above. The cause is still under investigation. Fire officials are reminding everyone that despite recent rainfall and cooler temperatures, brush fires are still a serious threat in many communities. And after the break, residents on edge in Esquimalt. It doesn't seem right uh, in that he's right across the street from her. Why a convicted sex offender's release from custody is too close to home. Plus, we're collecting gently used clothing, toiletries, uh, gift cards, amongst other things. The donation drive collecting much-needed items for women's shelters and how you can help. We are learning more tonight about a convicted sex offender who was released on bail one day after Victoria police say he tried to break into a woman's home. As Kristen Robinson reports, neighbors are learning the suspect is a longtime resident of their community. An Esquimalt community on edge. A man arrested when police allege he tried to break into a woman's residence is out of custody and according to neighbors, living very close to home. It was a complete surprise because I did know him enough to kind of go, what? Who? Yeah. Are you serious? Wow. On August 23rd, witnesses say the suspect attempted to enter the woman's home at night. She screamed for help. She confronted the man. Uh, he did not attempt to flee. He attempted to enter the window. She was able to uh, avoid him getting into her home. Uh, obviously terrified. The neighbors rallied and chased the guy down and actually caught him, held him till the police came. 63-year-old Henry Mario Hooving was arrested and charged with assault and trespassing. Despite convictions dating back to 2004 for kidnapping in Esquimalt and sexual assault in Tofino, a judge ordered his release the next day. It doesn't seem right uh, in that He's right across the street from her. Jim Zakreski, who hosted a community meeting with the mayor and police, says Hooving is known as the neighborhood handyman. Basically, uh, the police uh, said he has every right to be in his house here and he's on kind of like a house arrest. When it comes to bail, the presumption is always in favor of release. Criminal lawyer Sarah Lehman says the courts will consider three grounds when determining whether bail is appropriate. The flight risk, risk of reoffending, and public confidence. If they can craft conditions that will satisfy on those three grounds, then the person will be released. Hooving must abide by six conditions, including no contact with the alleged victim and a 9 p.m. to 6 a.m. curfew. Is there anything you'd like to say? Just no. A woman who identified herself as Hooving's spouse had no comment. Is the community safe? How do you know he even did it? Hooving is due back in court next month as the neighborhood watch ramps up. We realize that, you know, the police can only do so much. Kristen Robinson, Global News. 
Police are investigating an early morning shooting that sent a man to hospital. Officers were called to a home on 91st Avenue and 148th Street at about 3.30. RCMP say a 35-year-old man was found with a gunshot wound to his lower leg. He was taken to hospital in stable condition with non-life-threatening injuries. No word yet on what led to the shooting, but it is believed to be targeted and not linked to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Police would not say if it's connected to another shooting centered at the same house several weeks ago. Anyone with information or dash cam footage of the area is asked to call Surrey RCMP or Crime Stoppers. A donation drive today collecting items for women in shelters and transition houses. We are collecting gently used clothing, toiletries, uh, gift cards, amongst other things. Medical students at UBC leading the drive for the Community Women's Initiative. The students collecting box after box of necessities for women in need right across the province. The initiative started last year in Surrey in response to a growing need because of COVID-19. It's now become an annual drive and has expanded with new drop-in spots in Vancouver and Coquitlam. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank is calling out the rogue donations that are costing the charity. The food bank tweeting out some shocking photos Saturday showing the bad food items people have donated. Staff managed to fill three carts with expired, rotten, severely damaged and opened food that the public has offered as donations. The food bank says it spends hours going through soil donations and ends up paying to dispose of them properly. They're urging people to please follow the guidelines when donating food or donate cash instead. Two BC women are back home after some marathon pedaling in support of the Pacific Assistance Dog Society. Lauren Colancy and Jody Crail cycled more than 1,000 kilometers in the second annual Move for Pads campaign. The pair had planned to pedal between the Pads campuses in Burnaby and Calgary, but forest fires and smoke derailed their trip. Instead, the women cycled the equivalent of the distance between the two locations in BC and Alberta. Although COVID-19 has hit charities hard, their efforts are allowing Pads to continue placing life-changing assistance dogs. The welcome and all the dogs and it's just, it's a great way to end it all. Because it's been a, it's been a test. The summer has been a test, that's for sure. I was inspired last year by Lauren Clancy. She did the ride last year from Burnaby to Calgary. When she was finished her ride last year, she said she'd do it again. And I said, I'll do it with you. She said, okay. The most important thing, I'm getting emotional now. The most important thing was the support of people. They supported me and the cause. <laughs> so thank you so much. <laughs> Coming up, grief and unanswered questions. Everybody's in shock, the whole community. A vigil is held for the infant killed on the Stony Nakoda First Nation as serious crimes investigators try to find answers. Plus, the political promises on the campaign trail and the angry protesters preventing them from being heard. The new safety concerns, next. West of Calgary, an emotional vigil was held last night for a baby girl who died on the Stony Nakoda First Nation this week. <laughs> Gripping candles, loved ones gathered to remember and honor the little girl. Orange balloons were also released. The baby is being identified by family as Tanaya Hunter Kootenai. 
According to investigators, the six-month-old was found in a home after officers responded to a welfare check Wednesday night. Her great-uncle says the vigil was held to show the community support for Tanaya's mother and her family. Kenny House says the baby's mother is devastated, as is the family of the baby's father. They are very saddened, uh, deeply saddened as we are, and uh, and uh, everybody's in shock. The whole community in the surrounding area, I believe, are trying to come to terms, and they all, everybody has a lot of questions, you know, unanswered questions. Investigators have not said how the baby died, but her death is being called a homicide. Turning now to the election campaign, and after being forced to cancel an event on Friday, Justin Trudeau's climate change announcement Sunday was overshadowed by dozens of disruptive and aggressive protesters. There are now questions about whether the Liberal leader can continue campaigning the same way and if he can ensure people's safety. Raquel Fletcher reports. Justin Trudeau says if re-elected, all new vehicles will be zero emission by 2035. But his message was drowned out by protesters at this campaign stop in Cambridge, Ontario. All new vehicles sold in Canada will be zero emission. The Liberal leader was barely audible over the shouting, drumming and piercing sirens. One woman was removed by police before the event began. Once it did, protesters became more aggressive, yelling F. Trudeau and treason. They also uttered racial and sexist slurs. Do we fall into division and hatred and racism and violence? Or do we say, no, you know what? That doesn't work to get us to back down. The campaign trail was more relaxed for other party leaders Sunday. Bloc Québécois leader Yves-François Blanchet attended a football game in Quebec City. In Yamashish, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh announced the return of a star candidate, Ruth Ellen Brosseau, who was elected in 2011 during the Orange Wave. It really gives our campaign a boost because people remember what they had with Ruth Ellen and how she made life better. I have an amazing feeling that this is going to be different this time around. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole announced his plan of partly forgivable loans for struggling businesses. But he was the one struggling when it came to questions about one candidate in Ontario. Cheryl Galin suggested after the pandemic, Canada could be put in climate change lockdown under the Liberals. I've told you what we're running on, which a climate change plan is in here. Why will you not answer the question about whether her language is acceptable or not? I'm telling you what we're running on in this campaign. Canada's recovery plan. The leaders will wrap their day in Montreal with a sit-down broadcast interview. Raquel Fletcher, Global News, Quebec City. Turning to the crisis in Afghanistan and Global Affairs Canada releasing a statement signed by nearly 100 countries, including the U.S., saying they received assurances from the Taliban that people with travel documents will be able to leave the country. The security situation in the capital, Kabul, remains extremely tense. Earlier, the U.S. military carried out a drone strike against what the Pentagon says was a vehicle carrying suicide bombers. This is what remains of the vehicle after that strike. It's the second coordinated attack by the United States following last week's suicide bombing at Kabul's airport that killed at least 169 Afghans, in addition to 13 American military service members. And coming up next, how people are hunkering down. 
Katrina's throwing a 16-year birthday party for her daughter, Ida. As Hurricane Ida makes landfall on the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina and the B.C. man who almost got stuck in the storm. A large cougar leaps over a gate. We'll tell you where in the Lower Mainland this one was caught on camera and what to do if you see one in just a moment. But first... Hurricane Ida made landfall today, hitting the U.S. Gulf Coast region as a Category 4 storm, one of the most powerful storms to ever strike the country, and it comes on a somber anniversary. The Big Easy. Uneasy as Ida moves in. It's going to be on top of you in no time at all. So get to your safe place. At landfall, sustained winds of 150 miles an hour with driving rains. There's already flooding in the strike zone, and the intense conditions are expected to continue for another 12 hours or more. Some areas could get as much as three feet of rain before it's all over. New Orleans, below sea level, can't handle all of that water. We live in a bowl, so um, our topography is that, you know, every bit of rainwater that falls in here, we have to pump out. That job falls to these massive pump engines inside stations that surround the area. Teams confident the levees will hold and the enhanced mitigation system will move the water from canals into Lake Pontchartrain and the Mississippi River. We have upgraded the system. We have redundancy to the redundancy systems now that we didn't have a whole lot of before Katrina. The cruel irony that Ida comes 16 years to the day Katrina made landfall, not lost on those inside the Jefferson Parish Emergency Command Center. You know, we're, we're people from Louisiana, and we try to always have the light, you know, the lightness in even the worst situations. And, you know, it's Katrina's throwing a 16-year birthday party for her daughter Ida. But in an area so used to celebrations, this is no party. Jay Gray, NBC News, New Orleans. And a lower mainland man was among those who fled from Mississippi Saturday night because of the incoming hurricane. Marco Reed David is now safe in Dallas, Texas. He took this photo before he left Biloxi Saturday night. He's the president of a BC salon company and was there for a large hair show on Monday, now canceled because of the hurricane. A friend sending him video and photo from Gulfport this morning, he says highlighting that he made the right call to get out before the storm hit. Reed David was at a casino when a note was slipped under the door warning they'd be shutting down and are urging guests to evacuate the area as soon as possible. Yeah, it was pandemonium leaving. People on the I-10 were stuck in traffic for hours. Gas stations were running out of gas. There was three-hour lineups to get gas in certain places. It was, uh, it was pretty crazy. So we made the right decision from leaving the night before. Certainly seems to be the case as we bring in meteorologist Yvonne Shell for the latest on that hurricane. Yvonne, you've been tracking it. What do we need to know? Yeah, it made landfall at a Category 4. It's now sitting at a Category 3, but it's an incredible storm and catastrophic, and it'll continue to bring effects over the next few days. We've got a Category 3. The winds right now at 185. Those are sustained, but gusts right now up to 260 kilometers per hour. It's moving at a north-northwesterly direction around 14 kilometers per hour, and the big threat over the next few days will be the storm surge over 10 feet, potentially 
12 to 16 feet and additional rainfall amounts between 50 to 100 millimeters. So we'll be keeping a close eye. But right now it's sitting at a category three and we're still seeing those gusts of upwards of 260 kilometers per hour. All right, back here at home, our local forecast, it's much calmer. We are seeing some sunshine in the mix. There is a bit of a blip in the forecast over the next couple of days, but it is going to be good news, especially for the firefight situation across the province with cooler temperatures and a chance for some showers. We're sitting at 21. We've got a westerly wind at 11 kilometers per hour. Tonight, overnight, we've got an increase in cloud cover. We'll see a chance of showers. It'll be on and off. That chance for tomorrow at around 40 percent, and we'll see temperatures just getting up to 19 degrees. So a bit of instability for tomorrow, and it is going to be a touch cooler today. With the Humidex, we had many spots feeling closer to 30 degrees. Here's a quick glance. We've got this weak trough that'll just cruise across the province, and what we'll see for the morning hours is that chance for some showers. It'll continue, and it'll bring that instability for the southeastern corners. Not much in terms of precipitation, but I am anticipating the chance for some showers for many areas across the southern half. Also a dip in temperatures early into our week, and then it'll rebound later on in the week. Also for the interior, for example, the temperature trend for Kelowna is showing us some of the cooler days for both Tuesday and Wednesday. Now, the northern half of the province along the coast, 15 as the high with the partly cloudy sky. There is more cloud cover across the central interior. All areas south of it will see that instability with the chance of showers. Temperatures tomorrow will be into the low 20s. Whistler will see that chance of showers, a cooler one with highs just up to 18 degrees. So on and off with the chance of showers tomorrow, we are going to continue to see some cloud cover leading in towards our Tuesday. Also a few isolated showers at rebounds. Wednesday, Thursday, we'll be back into the low 20s for tomorrow. Highs up to around 19. Nithu? All right. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Well, a scary wake-up call was caught on camera in the Fraser Valley today. That's what bolted over the gate in Langley Township at around 5.30 a.m. The homeowner surveillance camera is capturing the massive cougar taking a leap into their yard in Alder Grove's North Otter neighborhood. Cougars are typically active between dawn and dusk. If you encounter one of the big cats, never run or turn your back. Instead, maintain eye contact and make yourself look as large as possible. Wow. I think my eyes would be as large as yeah. possible after that. I'd be so shocked. Wow. That's for sure. Well, now that's, that's easy huge. to say. <laughs> yeah, be big. A cat that big when you're coming in that at you, moment, yeah, you don't know what you're. Uh, I guess do. freezing. You would freeze. Yes. <laughs> Well, we won't freeze right now because we've got a lot to talk about, Barry, when you're coming up in sports. Well, Whitecaps are going to play uh, tonight against Real Salt Lake. First game since uh, Mark DeSantos was fired Friday. So we'll hear from their acting head coach as they get ready uh, to do battle tonight. And an epic PGA Tour playoff that you don't want to miss with uh, Bryson DeChambeau and Patrick Cantley. It was amazing. All right. Looking forward to that. Thanks, Barry. Also coming up, evacuees helping evacuees. I felt I needed support too, and coming here is my support. The small army of volunteers in Merritt determined to keep their support strong for anyone forced from their homes because of wildfires. We might still be in the midst of wildfire season in BC, but the effort to help those most impacted is ramping up. The Nicola Valley Food Bank is stepping up to support evacuees, some of whom are now volunteers themselves. Adam Donnelly of CFJC News spoke to one of them in Merritt and has more on how the community is banding together to assist wherever is needed. It was on June 30th that a fire tore through the town of Lytton, B.C. Since those early days of the 2021 fire season, the Nicola Valley Food Bank has been there for evacuees. Tents, sleeping bags, 
um, propane, everything that they needed, we supplied to them. It was clear early on that the food bank and ESS centers were not going to be big enough to hold the outpouring of donations that came rolling in. We just couldn't turn them away. So we contacted the Merritt Elks. They were kind enough to let us use their hall for the whole duration. And um, we've, we just have all the donations still coming in. Throughout the summer, the Nicola Valley Food Bank has had a small army of dedicated volunteers who come day in and day out. Moses, who's from Logan Lake, is an evacuee herself. She says she feels a great deal of empathy for what other evacuees have been dealing with, which is why she's been so ready to help. The fire was right at our doorstep, you know, and how devastating it is. And to be just displaced. It's hard to explain this feeling of displacement. I felt I needed support too, and coming here is my support. United Way BC has been one of the partners that's provided funding to keep the shelves at the food bank stocked. As the smoke clears and things seem less urgent, it's so important that we don't forget those people who are, are still without a home, are still without belongings, and winter is coming. All that people have to do is contact the Nicola Valley Food Bank, either on our Facebook page or email us at foodbank at at foodbankattelus.net and let us know what their needs are and we will arrange to get product to them that they need. Adam Donnelly, CFJC News. An Indigenous tradition returned to the waters off Vancouver Island this weekend. The Nanus First Nation north of Nanaimo holding its annual canoe races for kids and adults. The Rainbow Canoe Club tradition is back for the first time since COVID-19 cancelled last year's races. Normally, teams start racing in mid-May through until the end of August in different communities every weekend. The First Nation says its membership, including young people, pulled together to organize this year's event. It gives the kids something to do, gives them a healthy lifestyle, and it's teaching them culture and who we are and the way we walk in life. It teaches them how to be humble. It just allows us to get together and relax under a good warm day, right, and uh, enjoy a sport uh, uh, like uh, canoe racing. They're going as, as young as five years old now. Five years old, and they got tens, thirteens, sixteens, and then the men and women, so it's can become a family event if your whole family's involved. Coming up, a world record setting skate. If I was uh, Alicia Keys, I'd say my feet are on fire. The man on a mission to save the bees through a cross-Canada journey. Next. Don't miss the 111th annual Peony Fair. Enjoy the long-standing tradition at a reduced capacity with health and safety precautions in place. See all your favorite animal displays and attractions, including the super dogs, prize home rides, plus all the fair foods you can eat. Celebrate Scottish culture at Scottfest BC. Be part of the Highland Games that include the Remax Scottish Heavy Events Invitational, Celtic Music and Dance, and games for the kids. For RBC, I'm Michael Newman. If you wanna know, it's on the house. If you wanna show, it's on the house. If you wanna go, it's on the Global BC Community Hub. Navigate your now. All right, Barry's back with a look at sports. And Barry, there's been quite a bit of reaction after uh, the Whitecaps coach dismissal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, a lot of people wondering about the timing, if it's the right time to do it. But I 
the deed has been done, so we're going to see real quick what's going to happen. Thanks, Neethu. Uh, we will see what kind of frame of mind the Whitecaps are in just 48 hours after their head coach got sacked. The Caps have a huge game at BC Poise versus Real Salt Lake tonight, starting at 7. A win, and the Caps would be tied for the final playoff spot. That is pretty much the focus right now. Just win, baby. From now on, uh, we're not, it's not about building something for the future, but playing every game with, with the 11 players that are going to be uh, ready. And I would say not with the 11 players, probably with the 16 players that are going to be ready. In order to win, we're going to need more than 11 players for sure. Woo, Bryson DeChambeau not happy with playing partner Patrick Cantley in the final round of the BMW Championship. And that started an epic duel between these two Americans. You couldn't get two more opposite personalities. 16th hole, DeChambeau with the birdie, posing after that one goes in, feeling confident. Had a one-shot lead at 27 under, but Cantley, uh, Cantley came through with some incredible clutch putts. At 17, after putting his tee shot in the water, that was for Bogey to stay within one of DeChambeau, who also bogeyed. Now, on 18, Cantley's got to make this for birdie from 21 feet, and he is money. Ties DeChambeau at 27 under. We go to extra holes, and we do mean overtime. First playoff hole, Cantley's got to make the tough five-footer to stay alive. He does. Second playoff hole, DeChambeau. This is for the win. Six-footer pulls it, just like the putt for the 59 on Friday. Just missed it. Third playoff hole, Bryson for the win again. Are you kidding? The golf gods may be making a statement there. Fourth playoff hole after DeChambeau dunked his tee shot, recovers with a fantastic iron shot, and he would save par to extend it to a fifth playoff hole. And on the fifth playoff hole, DeChambeau stuffed it to five feet on the par three. Cantley steps up, and all he does is knock his inside DeChambeau to about two and a half feet. Both made birdie. And it continues. Sixth playoff hole, Cantley for birdie. 22 feet, rolls it in for the birdie. So DeChambeau needs to match it to stay alive, but slides it by, and Patrick Cantley wins an epic duel with Bryson DeChambeau. Cantley now in first place, heading to the Tour Championship. Corey Connors, the only Canadian to make the final 30. He is 21st. Meanwhile, on the Corn Ferry Tour, which is one step below the PGA Tour, series Adam Svensson had a big day at the Nationwide Children's Hospital Open in Columbus, Ohio. Svensson got his second win of the season. He had already acquired his PGA Tour card for next year by being in the top 25 during the regular season. But if he can finish on top of the Corn Ferry playoffs, he would get full privileges, which gets him to more PGA tournaments next year. So congrats to Adam. Clutch performance today. There is one more. Corn Ferry uh, playoff tournament next week. CFL today, Blue Bombers and Stampeders from Winnipeg. Andrew Harris making his season debut after missing the first three with a calf injury. Harris looking sharp in the first quarter, breaks a tackle, gallops 20 yards for the first down, and that would lead to this from the two-yard line. Who else are you going to give it to but Andrew Harris? And he's got the touchdown. They missed the extra point, though, and that would be key. 6-0 Bombers in front. Second quarter, Stampeders answer, Kadeem Carey. 
will carry it 17 yards for the touchdown. Calgary led 13-9 at the half, and the Stamps lead by one right now, very late in the fourth. As we mentioned, that extra point by the Bombers, very important right now. Blue Jays and Tigers from Detroit. Jays desperate to stay in the wild char- uh, card chase. Jays' bats have gone silent, but they got just enough enough pop out of them today. Bo Bichette, solo shot to right in the second. His 21st made it one nothing, And then rookie Kevin Smith picks a real good time to hit his first Major League homer. Clubs one to left center. 2 nothing for the Blue Jays. Smith all pumped up about that, and he gets to wear that Blue Jay home run jacket for the first time. Toronto got another gem from a starter today. Jose Barrios struck out a season-high 11 over seven innings. He had struggled his previous couple of starts. Jays win 2-1, now just five and a half back of the Red Sox in the wild card. Just five weeks left in the baseball regular season. On September 14th, the newest crop of BC-bred thoroughbreds will go on the auction block at Thunderbird Park in Langley. After they find a new owner, they'll start training to eventually run at Hastings Racecourse, which needs a healthy and vibrant uh, BC breeding industry to help pull horse racing out of the mud that the COVID pandemic put it in. Horse racing is a game of optimism and dreams, especially for those who breed the next crop of runners and those who buy them. I mean, we have no idea if these two yearlings are going to be average horses or a derby winner. But one thing is for sure, BC's breeding industry is doing its best to help Hastings Park win its race for relevancy and revival. Uh, I do believe we have about 400 horses at the track and about 280 of them are BC bred horses. And it employs thousands of people supports uh, hundreds and hundreds of stores, feed stores, farrier, people, sub, you know, subcontractors, and that's before it even gets to the racetrack. Like every other business, COVID hit Hastings Racecourse hard, shortening its schedule last year and this year, making it more difficult to sell BC-bred horses when there aren't as many races to run in. But an incentive program has been put in to help change that. The horses that go through the sale this year, 21 and 22, will get 50%. So if, if, a, if a race is, say, it's got a $20,000 purse, and it, uh, it will get an extra $10,000 on the purse for BC breads. So that's a good incentive for people to buy. This is the reason this is the year. And over the years, BC bred horses have made their mark both here and abroad. Spaghetti Mouse made almost $950,000 in his career. Delta Colleen, a Hastings legend, won over $800,000. And then, of course, there is the great George Royal, who carried the BC-bred banner to California, winning some of the biggest races in the 1960s. George Royal winning it on As a matter of fact, here's Hannah, uh, a year ago, was voted Horse of the Year in Canada. Uh, which was a big achievement and it shows another uh, positive portion for a BC bred horse. Gotta love those little colts. Harry Kane in the starting 11 for Tottenham today. Spurs hosting Watford. Free kick Spurs and it's Son Hung Min who delivers a perfect strike to the far post. Only goal of the match. Spurs win it 1-0 to remain perfect. Nine points in three matches for Tottenham. Two more than any other side heading into the international break. In a packed stadium for Wolverhampton's match versus Man United. No Cristiano Ronaldo for United today. And United off to a nice start this season. 19-year-old Mason Greenwood 
Fires home his uh, third of the year, 1-0 the final. United seven points through three matches. Wolves have dropped all their games 1-0 so far. And F1 fans, the Belgian Grand Prix was rained out, so the pole sitter Max Verstappen gets credit for the victory. And that's it for sports. All right. Thanks so much, Barry. And we'll be right back with the incredible story of a man skating across Canada to save the bees and the planet. Stay with us. A BC man just set a Guinness World Record this week by completing a grueling cross-country journey on rollerblades. As Jay Durant reports in tonight's This Is BC, a frightening moment in Alberta didn't deter him from finishing his accomplishment since it was all for a buzzworthy cause. Breaking the tape at the finish line in St. John's, Newfoundland after a long summer, Aldergrove Zach Chaboter took off the blades for the last time and took the plunge into East Coast waters. The grand finale after a long, grueling three-month skate across Canada. If I was uh, Alicia Keys, I'd say my feet are on fire. He just set the unofficial Guinness World Record for longest consecutive journey on rollerblades, 10,093 kilometers. It's really cool just knowing that I've roller skated or inline skated uh, further than anyone else has in history in the whole world. Want to come skate through the prairies with me? A sneak peek through every province posted on Instagram. And while the record was nice, the whole trip was for a good cause, raising money along the way for his environmental project, Blading for Bees. The reason bees are so, so cool is because bees are such a good mascot for the environment. If we do all these like crazy, easy, simple things that will help the bees, it helps everything else because we're all so connected. Zach and his sister Rachel, who followed in the van, left Whistler May 25th. Everything was rolling along before a wipeout in Alberta sent him to hospital with a mild concussion. I guess I, I knocked myself out for, uh, for about 10 minutes, so I went to the hospital. I was all good. I was pretty scraped up. I had some gnarly uh, road rash. But after 48 hours, he was back on the road, putting in some incredibly long shifts, sometimes up to 14 hours a day. I lost probably about 35 pounds throughout this whole summer as well, even though I was literally eating everything and anything I possibly could. And, and the journey's not quite over. The blades are put away, but Zach still has to drive the van back to BC. A bit of a victory lap after an incredible achievement. It's like my own personal, uh, uh, like, like, championship parade but i'm just doing it by myself i hope i don't seem too cocky or anything <laughs> jay durant global news incredible well if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to bc that people need to know about you can email your ideas to this is bc at globalnews.ca he definitely has the rollerblade lingo with the gnarly. You don't gnarly. hear many of those anymore. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Congratulations to him. And thank you all so much for joining us. Jordan Armstrong will be here at 11. Have a great night. Thanks.